everybody. This is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is September 17th, and last night, Atlanta United defeated a Lionel Messi-less Miami 5-2 at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It was uh, it was an exciting game, I would imagine, for supporters. It was exciting to cover. Atlanta United fell behind 1-0 on a world-class goal by Leo Campagna. Came back with three goals at eight minutes, the second fastest mark of time they've done three goals in in franchise history. To take a 3-1 lead, Miami got one back with a penalty kick, and then Atlanta United does what it used to do to so many opponents under Gerardo Martino, who was on the opposite sideline last night. That was make the opponent chase the game and then take advantage of the spaces they leave behind to blitz them with two more goals to win 5-2. The goals were scored by Tristan Mayumba on one that I'm still not quite sure totally crossed the line. Brooks Lennon, who now has set a career high for goals and assists this season. Yorgos Yakamakis, who continues to chase the golden boot and I think is going to get it. And Tyler Wolf, who continues to extend his career best year with his fifth goal. I think he's now the third leading scorer on Atlanta United, uh, despite not playing a whole lot of minutes. Miami's goals were both scored by Campania, the 25th and 53rd minutes on penalty kicks. And just looking at the standings really quick, Atlanta United remains in six, but is just two points behind Philadelphia for fourth place. In this podcast, you're going to hear from manager Gonzalo Pineda. You're going to hear from Saba Loban. <laughs> Lobjanitze, who became the first Atlanta United player in franchise history to have two assists off the bench. Gerardo Martino talking about his return to Atlanta. And then you're also going to hear, and you might be surprised, from Arthur Blank, MLS Commissioner Don Garber, and Atlanta United Vice President Carlos Bocanegra talking about the news uh, that we reported on Friday, among the first to report that the United States Soccer Federation is going to move its national chart or build the first ever national training center in Atlanta, Metro Atlanta somewhere. It is going to be a massive, massive complex, hundreds of acres to house all 27 national teams. That's all men's and women's teams, boys and girls teams, and all the extended teams, which are the deaf teams, the the CP teams, um, all of those teams. The headquarters are moving from Chicago to Atlanta. It is a a massive statement, both from the U.S. soccer and a massive belief in Atlanta and uh, the city and Arthur Blank, who's donated $50 million to this project. We're going to listen to voicemails from readers, and I'm going to answer your questions about the team. So I hope if this is your first time listening to us or even your 100th, please make sure to follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. 
In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. And we're back. I would be remiss if I didn't point out that the crowd last night, 71,000 and change, was the ninth largest in Atlanta United's history at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Pretty good statement. I know there were many, many disappointed people who didn't get to see Lionel Messi. So we're going to talk about that for a second before we get into the audio. My belief was, while Messi was with the Argentine national team, that if he didn't play in Argentina's second game on Tuesday – in La Paz against Bolivia, that he would probably start Saturday's match. Turns out, he didn't even travel to Atlanta, nor did he play in Bolivia. Instead, he uh, went to his son's soccer game on Saturday. There was a reporter, a tweet, that Messi had missed one of his young son's birthdays while he was with Argentina's national team, and he wanted to be with his family. There was also some muscle fatigue issues from from the glut of games that he has played, the flights to Argentina, the glut of games Miami has coming up, including the U.S. Open Cup final uh, that will be played uh, in Miami and against Houston. And Miami just simply didn't want to risk him in this game. I, you know, it, I don't. It's not up to me to agree or disagree. I think if I were Miami, I would rather have played Messi in this game and tried to get the three points rather than now they have to get the three points in some of their next games to qualify for the playoffs. But that is neither here nor there. On to our sound. We're going to start with Gonzalo Pineda talking about just how happy he was that the team rallied after falling behind one to nothing on that goal by Campania, which if you haven't seen it, uh, my, my descriptions can't do it justice. It was a fabulous bit of skill in a very tight space. And, you know, Atlanta United is, I think, 1-5-6 and six or 1-6-6, six and six, something like that this season when it has fallen behind, when it, when it concedes first. So it didn't have the best record. So to come back and win this game and to win it as emphatically as it did was a pretty massive statement for the team going into these final five games. Yeah, I cannot, I cannot be more proud of the team. The mentality is something that we talk a lot, talk a lot, training sessions, message in the film, and uh, I cannot be more proud of my team that uh, – Tonight they show heart, they show passion, they show intelligence with football, but also uh, good mentality. As you said, it is not easy to start the game. Actually, I think we start very well the game, and then in a probably in a kind of casual uh, play, we concede this, the first goal, and then coming back, we start with some nervous system, but then we came back with three goals in the first half. And even in the second half, because it is not easy again, uh, a PK, for us always PKs, when, when they kick Shand, there's not a PK, for us it's always a PK. Uh, so we concede that PK is 3-2, and that moment is also a moment of pressure, and we were able to handle that, and then coming back in the game um, with uh, two more goals, and we close out the game. Yeah, let's talk about the refereeing last night. I know in the last podcast I said I don't like to talk about the refereeing too much anymore, but last night was a very interestingly refereed game. I lost track of the number of times we saw the center ref hold his both arms out, which means keep on, after tackles from behind, after shoulders in the back. Um, But it it was wild. That first goal by Mayamba, 
to me, it was scored on the press box end of the stadium. It didn't look like the ball crossed the line. Uh, none of the other guys thought the ball crossed the line. But after a review, there was not enough. Either they saw that it did cross the line, or was there, there was a not enough evidence to overturn the call on the field, which was that it was a goal. You had several scrums during the game, which I'm going to get into with the questions later of Atlanta United and Miami players kind of coming together, one in a really large group and then a couple other small groups. Uh, but I think there's only one yellow card given from from those. So in a way, the referee did kind of control the temperature of the match. He just kind of let it simmer on uh, fairly high for a long time. Now, let's go back to Pineda, talking about the mentality of the team, whether or not the greatest of all time played. You never know what could have happened if Messi was on the field. Of course, they would have been probably better. But I think that uh, the mentality of the team was such as that I think we still could have gotten a, a good result with Messi. I, I feel that way. I don't know. I, I feel that the mentality, the football, the ideas were there. And I, I was very confident. The players seem confident, too. Um, we're going to get into... Just the impact the summer signings have made in one of the questions below. But it's, uh, you know, for all those who have, you know, rightly criticized some of the signings that were made in past years, you should really be giving props, I think, to the front office, all of the front office, for the summer signings because Tristan Miyumba, Saba Lopchenitze, Jean de Silva have all really, really come good um, so far. Yorgo Shakamaki's, uh, you know, signed much earlier this year. While his first touch probably isn't as good as he hopes sometimes, is still just pounding in goals and, and being a nuisance. So we're going to hear from one of those players, Saba, here on if the team cared about Messi playing. Yeah, it was so good for us. You know? <laughs> <laughs> you know, he's, for me, all-time best player. So, of course, I will be happy to see him, but... For me, one of the like very important is three points. So mm. it was good. <laughs> I don't have the audio of this. I just I just know that it was said because it was I was told. Uh, but Jean de Silva basically said we don't care about Messi. So he was he was a little more uh, defiant than Saba was. And here's Saba talking about how the team prepared this week, not knowing if Messi was going to play. You know, we have to. Doesn't matter if Messi will play or not. We have to play our game. You know, so. It's not so personal, you know, like, see, we have to play with Messi or without Messi, like our game, and we played. And just going back to the Messi thing for a little bit. So Friday night, uh, there was a like an MLS dinner for journalists and other communications people, and I went to that. It was here in Midtown. And as I was walking home, suddenly there was a report from ESPN that Messi didn't travel with Miami. So that started a, started a whole, you know, just crap storm of reactions on social media and things like that. And I, I worked to try to find out whether or not Messi had flown, and I couldn't get an answer. Uh, Miami Herald's reporter, Michelle Kaufman, the very talented Michelle Kaufman, and I were exchanging messages. And and then Saturday morning, I was finally able to get confirmation from a, from a person that Messi did not travel. So I posted that. Around the same time I got that, Michelle Kaufman got even more, and she had posted a few minutes before that about Messi, um, citing the muscle fatigue issue. So it was, it was, you know, between that and the U.S. Soccer Federation thing, it's been a busy couple of days. But here's Tata. This was his third match back in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. The first two came as 
manager of Mexico, but this was his first match back as a manager of an MLS team, simply saying why Messi didn't play. And here is Tata talking about returning to Atlanta. Con Atlanta, sí. Eh, bueno, como siempre, las mejores. Uh, like always, uh, it's it's the best to come back here. The city and the club are are places we had two great years and, and we feel really respected and loved. Uh, obviously, I'm sad because we lost and, and we came to compete and win if it was possible. Uh, but coming back is always special, regardless uh, of of everything else. It's always good seeing Tata. He shook my hand before the press conference started. Just you know, always just a nice guy. And I want to thank. Uh, Miami's uh, communication staff for helping me uh, get an interview with Tata uh, earlier this week as part of what we expected to be a really big game. And then after the game, I was trying to wait on Joseph um, to see if I could talk to him about the return. But I got to see some of the former uh, assistants, Manny and all those guys. Um, and it was good just to see them after having not been able to see them for a few years because they're all good people and they're good at their jobs. And, you know, it feels just like kind of old friends. So it was, it was good to run into them too. Now we're going to switch gears and you're going to hear some audio from those who are particularly involved in the development of the United States Soccer Federation's first ever national training center. We're going to start with Arthur Blank. I think the, the fact which seemed incredible to me that virtually every other major country in the world had national training headquarters. It not only had headquarters, but had national training grounds and that U.S. had headquarters, it was one in Chicago, um, but we had no national training grounds. It was like, I, I mean, it's almost like you have to be kidding me. I mean, it's a, so I think the opportunity to bring that to Atlanta and knowing, knowing the way Atlanta, you know, would be supportive of our fan base and our community and every aspect of what Atlanta means would be a great home for U.S. Soccer Federation. So, you know, I, I love the idea from the, from the get-go. I didn't know quite, underst- didn't quite fully understand what that would mean. So part of that was getting my own, my own education, you know, from JT and Cindy and others about, well, what does that really mean? Yes, sir. And I want to make sure that we were committed to something at that level that was going to be at the, at the level that we, we would expect, first yes, class, world class. Yes, sir. Give us the best chance to have these 27 national teams compete at the highest possible level and develop, you know, diverse community in soccer and youth soccer and all the things we think are really important. This audio was taken during a one-on-one. Uh, I was fortunate enough to get, thank you, uh, Brett Jukes, for making that happen, um, after the press conference. During the press conference, Blake stressed several times that whatever the United States Soccer Federation needs to develop this training center, all they have to do is tell him, and they will get it. So I imagine that the $50 million he's pledged uh, is just gonna is just a part of, of what he's going to do to try to help develop U.S. soccer in this country. And I don't know if you read my story yesterday. I hope that you did. Um, but there's a lot of good information in there, and I'll recap some of it in the podcast. I can't give it all away because we're trying to gain subscribers. But it was uh, – you know, there were some emotional moments from some people in the press conference. It's uh, this could be, you know, a, a game changer. And you're going to hear why here in just a few minutes. We're going to start with Don Garber on working with Arthur Blank to get the National Training Center in Atlanta. I think every great uh, soccer nation needs to have a great development facility. And there some of the smallest com- countries in the world have great national training centers. How could the United States not have one? 
I mean, we really don't have a home for our national teams, for development, for technology, for our offices, for, I mean, for our staff. All of MLS teams do, and our own federation doesn't. So Arthur has had such a commitment to the sport in our country, such a commitment to our lead, league, was the first call. Like, and, and he immediately got it loves this city is such a, has such a philanthropic point of view as to what he can do to support opportunity in this city and uh he uh he was intrigued from the very first call thank dan cordomach for uh helping me get to uh, don garber during a very busy post press conference scrum yesterday uh and one more from don i can remember when the franchise was introduced a few blocks away from mercedes-benz stadium and 2014 that part of his remarks were the MLS couldn't be considered a national league until it again had some teams in the South at the time. It didn't, uh, you know, when it started, it did Miami, Tampa, but both folded for a, for a lack of, well, just for a lot of reasons before Miami returned a couple of years after Atlanta United's first season in 2017. But now, you have two of the biggest stadiums in Major League Soccer in Atlanta and Charlotte. Uh, passionate fan bases in Nashville, Atlanta, Orlando, uh, which is really coming good this year under Oscar Perea. So congratulations to the, to the Lions. Miami is doing things that haven't been done on the scale that Miami is doing them uh, in Major League Soccer with the signings of Messi and Busquets and, and Alba. We don't know what they're getting paid, but we'll find that out soon when the MLSPA releases salary databases. But just the the ambition. And now, coming to Atlanta, the Metro Atlanta region, will be the first ever national training center. So here is Don Garber talking about the growth of soccer in the South. Doug, it's really interesting. You know, the, the uh, soccer lives in every city and every state and every community in America today. And that was not the case at the high level uh, when this league was formed in its earliest days. So there are there is almost no place where MLS wouldn't succeed. And there are so many other places where we could have had a national training center. But when you're performing at the highest level with your MLS club and you have this unique dynamic between the public and private sector here in the city of Atlanta, state of Georgia, it rises all the way to the top. So the South is really shining bright uh, in our sport, it's it's why there's you know two host uh, mm-hmm. 2026 host yes, cities yes, uh, uh, in the south uh, southeast, and I think that the sport will continue to grow. Um, it'll grow here. It's going to grow everywhere. But boy, it really is exploding in Atlanta. You know, this is a it, it's a heartwarming day today to hear Arthur Blank talk about his commitment to the sport and to have our federation speak so glowingly about the city of Atlanta. I don't think that happens without Atlanta United, and Atlanta United doesn't happen without Arthur Blank. Really good quotes from Don Garber, and I would expect on a scarf or a TIFO at some point we'll see the South as really shining bright uh, in terms of soccer. The last bit of sound is uh, Carlos Bocanegra. I caught him in the press box. Uh, he was nice enough to, to give me a couple of minutes. He you know, is usually pretty focused on game day. Um, he's still got a lot of that national team player in him, uh, as he should. He was a fantastic U.S. men's national team player. But here's Bocanegra talking from a player's perspective on how the new, uh, the new national training center can help everyone. I don't know if it necessarily, like, you can put something how it helps, but... Like the aspirational 
is going to be amazing, right? So like the 20s go in camp, the 23s are in camp, the full team's in camp. You're training alongside them, and the coaches are sharing information, and so it's more like this is how we're doing it at the first team level or, or the senior team level, okay? And you, you drop a few of the, the 23s into a training session. The coaches are talking afterwards. So I think it just it connects everything a lot better because our sport's already fractured with MLS, right. USL, every league you can name, right? Um, same with the youth system. So at least with the national teams, getting everybody in one place, common knowledge, common thought, you know, that, that should start to build some, some continuity. And um, hopefully, you know, that, that carries on and helps. You can hear how loud the stadium was, uh, and the press box is now an open press box. They removed the glass that was from the countertop to the ceiling uh, so, so that we could get a better feel of the atmosphere of games uh, than we were able to get before. Um, interesting comments from, from Carlos. This, And I, I need to, to stress a little bit that the National Training Center is not just for the national teams. The the goal, Cindy Parlo-Cone, the uh, CEO of the United States Soccer Federation, whose dream this was to build this national training center, talked about it's going to help soccer down to the grassroots level, to the youth level, with with training and tournaments and clinics and and just all sorts of things. Um, so it's exciting times. If you enjoy the sport and uh, you enjoy the national teams or, or just just as a human being, it's pretty cool right now. I want to thank Gay Burns. Uh, esteemed colleague he came out there with me yesterday wrote uh, a couple of really good stories i hope you'll fi- look for them on ajc.com or on his twitter handle one is just on some people's disappointment with not getting to see Messi, and another was uh on arthur blank's kind of legacy in atlanta as he continues to become i can't say the most important citizen in atlanta united's history because we have a lot of civil rights icons and nothing trumps civil rights but he has to be considered among the most important citizens uh, in Atlanta's history for all of his philanthropic efforts. When we come back, we're going to listen to your sound your que- and answer your questions. This is Southern Fried Soccer from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC. I'm Ernie Suggs. And I'm Ned Ravone. Atlanta has been known as the Black Mecca for so many years, but that means something different to everybody. It means everything to me. Every day I wake up, I learn something new. Well, you all can learn something new by subscribing to the Atlanta Journal-Constitution's new newsletter called Unapologetically ATL. It's all about the people, the events, and the entertainment happening in Metro Atlanta that Black people might want to know about. So subscribe today at www.ajc.com slash unapologetically ATL. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution is a special offer for our podcast listeners. If you subscribe today, you can get three months of unlimited digital access for just 99 cents. That's all of our sports coverage, our politics, our breaking news, our investigations, our food and dining, and so much more on AJC.com. Plus, you can get access to our e-paper and our assortment of newsletters. So join our community by going to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcasts so you always know what's really going on. You have to do it right now. I know you've heard that this is a special for like three months, but you have to do it right now because I have no idea when they're going to change this and they might charge you like a dollar instead of 99 cents.
So take advantage of it now. Subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. On to the mailbag, 404-526-AJCP. That's 404-526-2527. As I constantly harangue you, put that into your phone. Whenever you have an Atlanta United thought pop into your head, call, leave a question. Let's make Jay do some work. Jay's on the board today. I'm waiting. Yeah, Jay's waiting. Don't disappoint Jay. He gets angry, and you wouldn't like him when he's angry. On to Josh from Roswell. Hey, love the love the pod. Really appreciate the interview you did with uh, Tata Martino um, in the pregame pod. And uh, was curious if you think there's any hard feelings between Tata and Lanny United. I was really surprised he didn't bring Joseph on until so late. Um, I know he's not, you know, a number one starter for them, but I thought he would get more of a cameo. And then uh, another question I have is kind of off the wall. What do you think about own goals? Do you think the MLS would ever consider getting rid of own goals and just giving credit to, you know, the offensive player that had the most impact? I think it would be a way to boost stats, and I think nobody likes nobody likes them. The defenders hate them. The strikers hate them. They're bad for stats. If you're going to be a selling league and you want to sell guys that score lots of goals, why not abolish the uh, the own goal? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting idea. I don't know if I would abolish the own goal, but MLS does honor the hockey assist, the secondary assist. So Atlanta scored five goals but had seven assists last night, which is a franchise record. Maybe they can somebody opt or somebody can create like a goal contribution stat in which you get some sort of weighted number that's not a goal, not an assist, but is a goal contribution. Um, Yeah, that's interesting. Uh, And on to your first question. I was really, really curious how many comments we were going to get on Twitter about Joseph not starting, considering all the vitriol that happened during the week of people rehashing the fact that Gonzalo Pineda didn't start Joseph in the home finale last season which everyone rightly presumed was going to be Joseph's last game. And here we go back. Miami's back. Joseph is back. And a different manager also chooses not to start him. Campania is in great form. That's why he started. He scored two goals last night, so it's hard to argue. Uh, But it's just more – some people understand this and some people don't. When it comes to picking the lineups and it comes to – even if it's a, a meaningless game, which the last one last season was. It was the first meaningless game in Atlanta United's history frankly, the t- coaches are trying to win. They don't have time for sentiment. They're going to start who they think is going to give them the best chance to win. And if during the match they can figure out a way, you know, to to make people happy, then sometimes they'll try. So that's why Joseph subbed on in that Atlanta United match last season. I don't know if it's why he subbed on that Miami were, was chasing goals last night. So it'd be natural to put on another goal score and Joseph is another goal score. But yeah, that's my thoughts on that. It was an interesting moment in the game. Joseph picked up the ball in Miami's defensive third and was trying to dribble out. And uh, Tiago Almada caught him and put him on his fanny and got the ball back and, and started another attack. And while we're talking about this, y'all don't laugh at me, okay? Yesterday was a bit of a mess for me because we had the press conferences before the match. I was trying to get my story written in a very small window before the match started so I could pay attention to the match. I did not even realize that Sergio Busquets started and played all 90 last night until we were in the press conference. And I'm talking to Sam, 
And Sam gently reminded me, no, Sergio was on the field for the whole game. I was like, what? I don't even remember that. And Sam's joke was like, well, that's the magic of Sergio. You're not supposed to notice if he's there or not. He just plays. Uh, so I just, you know, laughing at myself. So there you go. On to Nick, friend of the podcast, who says, I want to give Pineda his flowers and credit. Well, what kind of flowers are you going to get him, Nick? As I've done several times this year, he thoroughly outcoached Tata, and Atlanta thoroughly outplayed Miami. Now that Pineda has the players to make his system work, it's really working. Just my thoughts, but Pineda's deal runs through 2024. What are the odds he gets an extension? Uh, the odds are always dependent upon if the team makes the playoffs and if it's competing for trophies. I would think that they're going to make the playoffs this season. I'm almost certain. They've certainly surpassed the number of points I thought they were going to get from these final 10 games. I even I underestimated how well these summer signings were going to play and, and contribute. But I, I tend to be pessimistic at times. So so we'll see. Make the playoffs this year. Do well in League's Cup, U.S. Open Cup next year. Yeah, I could see an extension. Jeff and Mike asked a version of the same question uh, separately, but I just got to combine them. Thanks for the great insight into the team. What a great game. What's the reason for starting Mosquera over Saba? It seems like a huge difference in quality. Mosquera is exciting, if not frantic. That's a good way to describe it. But hasn't been able to finish with a good decision on his passes or shots. Looks like he's got the raw talent, but needs more development. I would love your thoughts. Yeah, I've gone into to Edwin uh, a few times. He's He reminds me of Jurgen Dom a lot. A lot of exciting moments, but just not a lot of end product. He's scored one goal now in like 85 professional appearances, which is not a good return on a winger. But he's got speed, and again, he makes things happen. It's just a matter of getting him to to slow his, his brain down um, in that final third and, and make a good decision. Uh, I think he just gets too caught up. He, he, For all I know, he may be perfectly calm in those moments. It's just my interpretation of what I see. So it's a lot of potential. As for why Saba didn't start, maybe he got back on, I think, Wednesday from uh, competing with Georgia in European qualifiers. So I think maybe they just wanted to to maybe rest him, and it may be looking ahead to Wednesday's match against D.C. United because it's a quick turnaround. They have D.C. United on Wednesday. They have Montreal at home on Saturday. So you've got three games in eight days again. I think maybe Pineda was trying to find a little bit of a balance in the starting lineup. Levi says, Levi is a former, uh, he was, I coached Harvester Academy's JV soccer team, and Levi was on that team. And Levi was probably one of the smallest guys on the field, but also one of the toughest. And so I always enjoyed coaching Levi. Was there a reason Etienne didn't even make the game day roster? Uh, Yet the players ahead of him are performing better. Um, This signing looked great when it was made and everyone had high expectations when he was signed as a free agent in the offseason but it simply has not worked for reasons i don't know uh you know i've asked Pineda about it and even he seems a little just befuddled he said etienne when he would play would still get in good spots and would still the the stats the data is there but like mosquera just nothing is coming of it um i i would think that because of his salary and because he's not playing and likely is not going to play next year uh, as much as he would want, that he'll be a buyout or a trade offer uh, or trade option in the winter. Um, I feel bad for him. He's a nice guy, and everyone thought this was really going to work well. Well, most people thought it was really going to work well, but it just hasn't. He, I don't think he's played 
for Atlanta United in the past five matches, and I don't see him playing unless it's a meaningless game uh, then. Uh, Roan or Ron, uh, you can correct me on the pronunciation. You can send me a, a phonetic spelling, but I appreciate the email. Uh, says, fun match last night. Uh, De Silva is quickly becoming one of my favorite players on the pitch. His skill combined with his enthusiasm make him a real joy to watch. In the 41st minute goal, we think he was attempting a cross that bounced off Kamal Miller. Was this simply luck, or is there a chance he was thinking, I could bounce it off Miller for a goal? I don't know. That would, I, that would be an interesting piece of uh, skill um, if he was actually trying to do that. And, and if I were him and I was trying to do that, I would be crowing on social media that my my gambit worked. Um, no, I think he was trying to cross it to the back post. Uh, he continues, if you haven't discussed the tension after the Campania goal, could you give us some explanation of what was happening? Thanks for all you do. Well, if you, you watch other soccer teams, I'm sure, other soccer matches, and you see now players, when they score a penalty kick, always have to run and grab the ball and run back to the center circle and put it down, like, let's go. It's kind of become rote. It's kind of become silly. Uh, but it's one of those things that one person does it and somebody thinks it's cool, so they do it, and then everybody thinks, oh, I've got to start doing that. Um, and I think Brad was in the way of the ball and Campania didn't like that. And then Campania squared up to Brad, which is not a good idea. Cause I think Brad probably has him by 30 pounds and it, Brad is a strong dude. Uh, and then Brad said something and that got Campania incensed. And then all of Miami's players ran up. It was just crazy. Uh, and a little bit silly, but that's what happened. Thanks for all you do. He says, well, thank you for reading and for always being a consistent contributor. Speaking of consistent contributors, Eric with a K says, apologies for not participating in the question and answer portion of your podcast lately. No excuses though. Do the work. You're dang right, Eric. From now on, I expect three questions for every podcast in honor of United scoring barrage on Saturday. Can you think of three other five strikes performances that were that dynamic on the attacking end? Uh, yep. Minnesota, first season now there have been several san jose the final minutes of that game in 2018 was crazy talk um there was one earlier this year against colorado the only other time they scored five goals i think um and they've had opportunity they've had more and more opportunities this season they could have absolutely uh blitzed um who was it uh seattle they should have had them blitzed and buried in the first half of that match um so, yeah, the attack is is really – it's working. The Jean de Silva, Tristan Muyamba, Saba Lopchenitze, uh, Tyler Wolf coming off the bench. Uh, you know, they – the team, when they went into the summer window, wanted to get some players with experience and wanted to get players that could play off of Almada and, and Yorgos. And you're seeing that now. Jean de Silva on the wing is just – I think I wrote in a story that we'll post soon – is just befuddling defenders. And then he's putting the ball in good spots. And when he shoots, he puts it on frame, which has been a consistent problem for Atlanta United's wingers in the past. Over on the other side, Saba's speed is just, it's crazy when he's dribbling that he keeps control of the ball and he doesn't run into defenders, which is also a problem for Atlanta United's wingers in the past. And Almada suddenly just finds himself with all this space. Yurgos finds himself with space. Saba Lopchenitsi's first touch last night as a sub was an assist on Yorgo Shakamaki's goal. Um, 
it's nuts what how the team looks right now. Now they just got to continue. DC United is a very, very tough place for them to play. They've never played well. It's a smaller pitch. They usually let the grass grow a little bit thicker so the ball doesn't move as fast. We'll see if they do that again on Wednesday. But it should be a fun match. DC United needs a win. They are in ninth place right now. They are two points ahead of Chicago, three points ahead of Charlotte. Just to remind you all, the top nine teams make the playoffs. Eight and nine have a one-off to advance. And then the other teams, it's a best of three. It's a change of the playoff format this year. So D.C. United is trying to get in. They are four points ahead of NYCFC. They are seven points ahead of Miami, which has played two fewer games. But the loss last night uh, caused Miami to lose its games in hand advantage. So D.C. United needs to get something out of Wednesday's game. So I expect a strong lineup. And then Eric continues, are you at all concerned with Mike Bobo's first half play calling? Well, Atlanta United did score three goals, so I think he's okay. I don't know if there's another football you're talking about. Corey says, I really enjoy the pod. Great win for Atlanta tonight. Big win for Atlanta with U.S. soccer coming to town. Where do you think they will put the training facility? Close to Atlanta United's in Marietta. Thanks for your work covering soccer in Atlanta. No, it won't be close to the training center in Marietta. I reported in yesterday's story a site, and you can subscribe to the AJC.com and see where that is. But I think both uh, – I've heard they've narrowed the list down and that both sites are in a particular part of the city, not Marietta. So you need to subscribe to go look at my story to see where at least one of the sites definitely is. On to Dave, who says, such a great game today. Can you talk about the strategy of sending Miles Robinson forward past the center circle? It seemed very effective in throwing off Miami. This is something that Miles does from time to time. Um, he's he's good with the ball, and he's fast. And we're, I'm going to go into another aspect of this in a second. But sometimes Miles, if he gets the ball and no one's on him, he'll just keep going instead of passing. And he did that last night. He beat, uh, I think it was a midfielder who was suddenly surprised to see a very large, fast man coming at him with the ball, and off he went. But I I can remember Miles doing this, you know, a couple of times every season. He, he's a talented soccer player. Um, he doesn't have much use for us in the media, which is okay. <laughs> but he's a talented guy. I'm curious to see what's going to happen to him in the offseason. But I also wanted to mention Brooks Linden goal. Brooks Linden's goal last night. If he saw where it was taken from, Brooks Linden is a right fullback. He was on the left side in the penalty box when he got the pass um, and buried the shot, the pass from Wiley, who did a series of stepovers really nice to get himself some space. Oh, Wiley has now set a career high for assists, too. I should point that out. But since the team came back from the international break in that first game against Seattle, you've seen Brooks Lennon kind of playing sometimes almost as a de facto central midfielder. Um, not, not an attacking midfielder, but just kind of a, you know, a six or a, or an eight, I guess, maybe. Um, and it's really unbalancing other teams. They don't quite know what to do because suddenly there's another player that Atlanta United can play off of, another triangle that can be formed. And they did that again last night to Miami. It's a tactic that I can't remember the manager's name, but Man City does uh, a lot of with their fullbacks. Uh, I know the manager's name. I'm just being a dork or spiteful. Um but it's one that Pineda has done. Brooks London really, really enjoys it. 
Wiley doesn't do it as much. Wiley stays more outside when he gets up the field, but Brooks is really kind of taking advantage of that middle channel because over on the right, you've either got Mascara or Saba who have the pace. They could come back and cover space. Mayumba has the awareness that if he senses there might be some danger on the right, he can get over there. Or Huzetu, who is playing fantastically well since being paired with Mayumba. It's like a totally different player. You see some of the same elements in Huzetu's game that you saw before, but he's now added to that by by really moving the ball forward, which he wasn't doing a lot of. It's... Uh, Atlanta United's got some good things going right now. DeBoonful, friend of the podcast, says the team looks just plain nasty. So dynamic. This team is going to continually get better right into the playoffs, he says. His only minor complaint is Yakamaki's continual stopping and complaining after a teammate mishit or bad pass when there's still possibility the ball deflects off the post or the player and stays in play. Uh, I, I saw it one time last night. I don't see it consistently, but uh, I'm sure you're watching. Um, so I'll, I'll try to pay attention to that. He continues in his time with Atlanta United, Joseph Martinez Martinez missed at least a half dozen trash man rebound goals because of the same kind of acting out. Silva looks incredible. All right. On to Adam, who says he's euphoric about the atmosphere, largely helped by Messi's potential attendance that allowed everyone to remember we have a home team. It felt like the old days, he says. It looked like Atlanta did not play as wide as Miami early on, and that contributed to some of Miami's better attacks. Was Atlanta trying to go through the middle as a strategy? Uh, I think they're trying to bring Miami in and then go back out, uh, so to speak. Nothing else to offer right now. Cause for the win is cause for celebration. I hope to buy you a round someday. Cheers. I'd like that too, Adam. I think I had a few too many rounds last night with my friend Tim. Uh, Elizabeth says, and this is our question of the week. And I want to preface this question with, I don't have an answer, but I understand the sentiment and I think it's a legitimate question. And it's one that I or someone else maybe need to ask. Well, we definitely need to ask going into the future. I don't think yesterday was probably the place for it, but it is about the USSF and the national training center. It is a legitimate question, uh, and I don't mean to use legitimate uh, patronizingly. It's definitively a legitimate question, and it's one that gets raised from time to time, probably not nearly enough. Uh, so I want to thank Elizabeth for pointing this out and for asking this, um, and I'm going to talk a little bit more after I finally give you what the question is. Her words, why do they want to come to a state that discriminates against women? I don't have an answer. The only thing I can say is that because of the efforts of the U.S. women's national team members, there is equal pay for U.S. men and U.S. women now. Uh, a few other countries uh, followed suit or were already doing it. I, I can't remember how the dominoes fell, but it's a good thing. Um, Arthur Blank has expressed concerns about things like this in the past, if my memory serves. Um I'd have to go back and look. So it's a, it's a very good question, Elizabeth. Thank you for, for bringing this up. And hopefully, uh, you know, things will become more equal for everyone. That's just my take. I want to remind you to tell your friends about our show. And please give us a rating and a review on Spotify and Apple. It's what helps us grow the podcast. 
I want to remind you again, it's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast, subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast. we got a lot of good sports coverage. The Bulldogs, the Yellow Jackets, the Hawks, the Falcons, Atlanta United, the new training center, Georgia State, the Hawks, high school coverage, a lot of good things in the paper. That's just sports. I'm not, I haven't even gotten into the news. You can hear Music Midtown from my condo. We're covering that. You can call in your thoughts at 404-526-AJCP. As always, hug your loved ones. Communicate with your loved ones. This is Southern Fried Soccer. Thanks for listening. Y'all take care.